Chapter Twenty of *The Key to the Riddle: A Story of Huguenot Days* by Margaret S. Comrie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty, Waiting. All through the autumn and winter succeeding Gaston de Rohan's imprisonment in the citadel of Pinerolo, the hearts of two women in the great lonely old chateau of Brianza grew sick with longing for news of the absent one for whom they waited and watched in vain. His mother had duly received a letter telling of his recovery from the illness consequent upon his second wound, and later had come a messenger announcing Monsieur the Captain's return to Piedmont on furlough. But the days and the weeks passed on, bringing nothing but silence, and with the silence a suspense the pair in the chateau hardly knew how to bear. A common sorrow drew Madame Eloise and her ward's governess very close together as the days went by. It had come suddenly to Azarol that Madame had guessed her secret and when the first nervous tremor consequent upon this knowledge was over, she realized with a quick throb of gladness that her kind benefactor's growing tenderness would not have been possible had the discovery she had made occasioned her even a momentary displeasure. Nevertheless, as if by a tacit consent, both were silent upon a subject which neither seemed to have the courage just then to broach to the other. At the entreaty of Madame de Rohan, Signor Bocelli, the advocate at Turin, had gone to Paris, with the hope of obtaining some intelligence concerning the mysterious disappearance of Captain Gaston de Rohan. The report he brought back was scarcely a reassuring one, although it was softened with all the plausibility, evasion, and subterfuge of which only a warm-hearted Italian knows the art to perfection. From the Abbé he had ascertained that Captain de Rohan was just then unfortunately not too high in favour at the court of Versailles. It was known that he had left the army suddenly, and somewhat under a cloud, and it was believed that he was now in retirement, having been advised to efface himself from public notice for a time, until the little scandal, a foolish quarrel with the church, should have blown over. "'In a few weeks the sky will be clear, and we shall have Monsieur Gaston home,' quoth the Signor cheerfully. But the weeks dragged themselves out into months, and still he did not come. "'It is the curse that is on the house of de Rohan,' Madame Eloise would mutter to herself at times, not thinking that she spoke aloud, and Azerel, overhearing the words, would shiver with a sense of nameless dread, and for the rest of the day would wander aimlessly from room to room of the chateau, with a half-scared face, treading noiselessly as when death has entered a house. Throughout these first weeks of waiting the girl was hardly herself, and Jacqueline, who watched over Mademoiselle with only a degree less of devotion than that which she bestowed upon her beloved mistress, feared the girl was falling sick. But it was not so, and ere long Azarel roused herself and went about her daily duties with a quiet courage that bore bright witness to the truth of the promise, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. True, there were times when in the quiet of her own room she would take herself to task for the nervous restlessness which she could not always control, and she would with shame reproach herself for ingratitude. "'Is it then possible that I can be other than full of joy and thankfulness to our Father God?' she would ask indignantly while she walked the floor in the darkness of the night. "'On that never-to-be-forgotten day in August when Léon, half delirious with joy, brought me the news of the rentre glorious, the news that our exiles had returned, that they were in the valleys, and later when he had actually seen my dear father, and learnt that our precious mother and little Stella were safe in Württemberg, I thought my heart would break, for the weight of happiness seemed more than I could bear, and now but a few weeks have gone, and my heart is heavy with the weight of sadness, and I, alas, I can neither understand it nor shake it off." At this point a burst of tears would inevitably come to the relief of the poor child, and ere long a sense of peace would steal over her spirit with the remembrance that she was free to weep her heart out before her father God, who understood, though she did not, and who never failed to give comfort liberally and without upbraiding. Then, when she was calm again, she would tell herself, with a pathetic attempt to hide the real truth from her shrinking consciousness, that there was but little wonder if at times she felt anxious and troubled. 
Almost immediately following the news of the return of the Vaudois had come the intelligence that Pastor Montu had been taken by the enemy and sent to prison in Turenne. And in addition to this sorrow she was suffering under a further trial in the loss of the brother who had been for these past four years her pillar of strength. Not only with the cordial consent of the Bruxelles and Michel Roussier, who were all three secretly interested in the heroic struggle of the Vaudois, but also at the earnest entreaty of Azerel herself, Léon had set off to join the returned exiles. After sharing the hardships and perils of his people all through the autumn, he was now shut up for the winter on the rock of the Balsilla with Henri Arnoux and his brave band. But if the gnawing pain of a secret heartache told upon the physical frame of the young Vaudois, so that all could see its effects in the paleness of her cheek and the languor of her step, if her song for days together was hushed and her smile pathetically wan, yet the girl's unfailing brightness, her unselfish thought for others, told of a happiness underneath all that nothing really could touch. For had she not a friend upon whom she could roll her own burden, and thus be free to help bear those of others? It was perhaps as well for her that the work laid to her hands that winter was far from light. Towards the end of November Madame Eloise was prostrated by an attack of low fever. Azerel, who waited upon her night and day with untiring devotion, would have felt the responsibility pressed still more heavily had it not been for the knowledge that upon every servant in the chateau, from Jacqueline and Blaise downwards, she could rely at all times for affectionate help and counsel, while little Christophe, firm in the belief that in fulfillment of Gaston's charge to him the care of both ladies rested on his small shoulders, proved himself a greater comfort than he knew. No sooner had Madame de Rohan shown signs of convalescence than Azerel's services as Sister of Mercy were required at Malino. To the amazed gladness of M. Broussel, and to the joy, though hardly to the surprise, of his gentle Justine, Michel, from the time of Léon Montu's departure, had become an altered man. To quote the words of his worthy uncle, who was surprised one day into using even stronger language than his wont, the lad was changed from Michel the arch-fiend into Michel the archangel. Not that Roussier had all at once become the piece of perfection this eulogium seemed to imply, but the fact, and it was a great fact, remained that, instead of frequenting the wine-taverns and gaming-tables, he kept closely to the farm, trying after a pathetically clumsy fashion to fill the place of son to the old people, who on their side were only too eager and willing to meet his shamefaced advances half-way. Michel was far too shy to volunteer any explanation of his altered demeanour, and none was asked, but by Madame and Monsieur Broussel the truth was more than suspected, and in their hearts they blessed the Vaudois lad who had come as a gift from heaven to their house. For months with none to notice, for Madame Justine was engrossed with her half-invalided husband, Roussier had been overtaxing his strength in a vain attempt to undertake both his own and Léon's share of work, and M. Broussel, enfeebled by the malady from which he had been suffering for long, was not so quick as otherwise he would have been to see how the young man's efforts to accomplish the impossible were undermining his health. Michel kept up until the winter's snows began to melt. Then, with a patient silence, he took to his bed, and his uncle, roused to a sudden realization of the state of affairs, reproached himself with a violent abusiveness that excited the patient's gratitude and fever at one and the same time. Madame Justine, in her distress, sent at once for Azerel. It was not possible to refuse the humble yet earnest request, but the young girl went with misgiving. She need not have feared. Michel accepted her kind offices gratefully, and neither by word or look gave her cause to regret that she had come. He made no attempt to conceal that her gentle ministrations were a pleasure to him, that the touch of her hand on his brow soothed the throbbing pain, that the sound of her voice singing by his bedside quieted the distressing fancies of his fevered brain and was sweet as heaven's own music in his ears, but he took all without outward demonstration, realizing that to her any display of feeling would be painful. And when convalescent he was careful not to show how he missed the almost daily visits she had paid to Malino when he was so ill, and the old people depressed and anxious. 
He was sitting on the veranda one evening in the month of April, when she came bringing a basket of flowers from the Castel Brianza gardens. "'For my Aunt Justine, Mademoiselle,' he said, rising to place a chair for her. "'No,' she said quietly. "'They are for you, Monsieur. I was remembering that this was your first day of returning to work, and I thought you would be tired out, and might be glad to have the flowers. You were so fond of them when you were ill.' Roussier took the basket, and his thin fingers rested with a lingering touch upon the gay blossoms for a moment or two. When he spoke his voice was a little husky. "'Your memory is too kind, Mademoiselle, and it remembers many things. Perchance it will recall the prayer you once prayed that he, him you call the god of the Vaudois, would make Michel Roussier believe that you, Mademoiselle, and Monsieur your brother, were in very truth his friends?' She bowed her head silently, forgetful until afterwards to wonder how it was that he knew of that same prayer of hers. "'Mademoiselle, methinks the good God has heard the prayer.' Still she did not speak. Her eyes had filled with a sudden rush of tears. He held out his hand, which she took in hers. "'Mademoiselle, I am not worthy of the honour. But if in your kind goodness you will continue on to the end, to be to Michel Roussier the sister-friend you have shown yourself throughout these past weeks, he will be grateful and—and I even content.' And as the girl walked slowly back to the chateau, Michel's strange look haunted her, while his still stranger words kept ringing in her ears like the muffled tolling of a funeral bell. If you will continue on to the end. End of chapter 20